Well, we're studying in the book of 1 Timothy, and last week we discussed the overseers of the church and examined what Paul had to say to Timothy about the responsibilities and qualifications. And today we come to his instructions concerning the qualifications for deacons. And both overseers and deacons occupy a place that is sometimes referred to as an office in the church, the office of elder, and the office of deacon. The New American Standard even translates the word oversight that is found in verse 1 of chapter 3 as the office of overseer. Well, I generally hesitate to use that term. I don't really like the term office because it seems to carry with it the idea of privilege and, and honor more than responsibility and ministry. But I will use the term office with our topic for today because the office we're going to discuss is actually the office of servant. Now, I said we're going to be preaching about deacons, and the word translated deacon originally meant one who executed the commands of another, a servant, attendant, or minister. And the word itself, the word deacon, is more a transliteration of the Greek diakonos. A transliteration is a, a translation of letters from one language to another instead of the whole word. An actual translation of diakonos means servant, means servant. It's only translated deacon when the context kind of points to the fact that the author is talking about a special class of servants in the church. And actually, we have very little information about the office of deacon or servant in the church. But apparently, it originated when a problem arose in Jerusalem, in the church there, with the distribution of alms or, or food for the needy. We read of the problem and the solution in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Now these men are actually nowhere called deacons but they were selected to serve. They were selected to relieve some of the load that had been placed on the apostles' shoulders so they could spend more time in prayer, seeking the mind of Christ and 
in teaching. And do notice that these were not selected to sit on a board to make policy for the church or to decide what bills to pay or not to pay, as is customary in many churches. They were simply chosen to care for a specific need that had arisen in the church. Apparently, some of the Hebrew widows, the, the Jewish Christian widows, were getting more attention than the Greek widows. And since the apostles were too busy to personally make certain that everyone was satisfactorily cared for, they told the church to select seven men who could make sure all were properly cared for. These seven were then brought before the apostles who publicly identified them as the individuals who would care for this special need. Now, apparently, this approach worked because uh, later on we find that other congregations apparently copied it. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he addressed his letter to all the saints in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So both elders and deacons were recognized as having special positions in the church. The elders were the overseers of the congregation, and the deacons were a special class of individuals who had accepted special ministries, areas of service in the church. Quite frankly, that appears to be the New Testament pattern for how a church is to be organized. And that is how we try to operate as a congregation. We have elders who oversee the total ministry of Chatham Christian Church, and we have deacons who accept the responsibility of caring for specific ministries within the church. Now, there was a time when we tried to carefully define each deacon's position and to make sure that everyone knew who was serving as a deacon. But those lines have blurred over the years. Besides, how, how do you define which jobs should be considered deacons' positions and which are just jobs that need to be done? Well, obviously, jobs that require a regular investment of time, like serving as church treasurer or financial secretary, or overseeing our Sunday school or our nursery, or planning music for the praise team or maintaining the website can easily be classified as deacons' positions. But so can teaching Sunday school and serving as a youth sponsor or caring for church property, or accompanying the congregational singing, or providing meals in times of need or for special events. In fact, any ministry that is performed in the name of Christ and for the sake of his church could be considered the work of a deacon. And anyone who takes on such a ministry should realize that their faith, Character and general behavior are as much in view as is the service they're performing. If they are serving in the name of Christ and the church, 
There are standards of behavior and character that must be obvious in their life. They're representing the church, the body of Christ, by doing things for the church. And so just as there are qualifications for leadership in the church, believe it or not, so are there qualifications for service in the church. And Paul outlines those for Timothy in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 3. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. Now, Paul begins this instruction concerning the qualification of deacons with the word likewise. And then he basically repeats many of the things he's already said about overseers. He begins by saying that deacons must be dignified. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be stuffed shirts, only that they are worthy of respect and are looked up to by all. Next, Paul says they're not to be double-tongued. They're not to speak with forked tongue. They must be honest, not prone to telling different stories to different parties, especially in the church. Paul then says they must not be addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. And the words that he used here are different from those used of elders. With regard to wine, the New American Standard makes the distinction by saying elders are not to be addicted to wine and deacons addicted to much wine. Well, the Greek actually says elders are not to tarry over wine, to be identified with it. And deacons are not to take heed of, to occupy their minds with much wine, to be thinking about wine all the time. Apparently neither are to be addicted to it. But the standard is a little higher for the elder. And the same is true of their attitude toward money. Elders are to be free from the love of money, not covetous for the things money can buy. And deacons are not to be fond of sordid gain, always trying to make a fast buck. The standards are a little different, but neither elders nor deacons should have problems with alcohol or money. Like elders, deacons are representing the church in all they do and must therefore be very reliable and totally trustworthy. Next, he says, they are to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, the mystery of the faith doesn't mean that our faith is mysterious, only that it is something that was once a secret but has now been revealed. You know, God has let us in on the secret of the universe. He has made known to us the ultimate purpose of all things. And he has told us of a glorious future 
that is ours. To those outside the faith, those truths remain a mystery. But to us, they have been made known. I think Paul is simply saying that deacons must know and understand the truth of Christianity. And they must live lives in good conscience. He doesn't say they must be able to teach, as must the elders, but they must know it and they must live it. He then says they should be tested before they serve. They should be well known by the church and their Christian character should be beyond reproach. And again, there's a slight difference between elders and deacons. Elders, you may recall, are to be above reproach and deacons beyond reproach. Elders are to be without handles, as we mentioned last week, without sins or character flaws that can be easily identified and laid hold of. And deacons are to have nothing in their life that they can be charged with, called into account for. Both are to be men of excellent character. And then in verse 11, Paul says something that's caused considerable debate. He mentions women, saying they must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. The question is, who are these women he's talking about? Now, the King James Version translates it as deacons' wives, but there's really no reason to do that. Unless, of course, you don't want to accept the fact that a woman can be a deacon. And that may have, have flavored the translation over the years. Paul simply says, women, likewise. Women, likewise. Apparently, he is spelling out qualifications for women who serve as deacons. Women like Phoebe. We read about in the New Testament, in the early church. And he says, just like men, women who serve, who minister in the church, are to be dignified, temperate, and faithful. The only difference he mentions has to do with the matter of malicious gossip. He makes a distinction between a man's tendency to be double-tongued and a woman's tendency to gossip. I just lay it out there. He then concludes that deacons must be faithful to their wives and good managers of their children and households, as must elders. I think the qualifications can probably be summed up by what the apostles told the church in Jerusalem to look for. Men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. Deacons, therefore, must be men and women who are well thought of, who are spirit-directed, and who have the wisdom needed to apply what they know to the specific tasks they're given by the church. Paul's discussion of deacons then concludes with mention of the rewards of service. Verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith 
that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says those who serve well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing. Now, I don't believe that he's saying they work themselves up to a higher station than servant. He's merely saying they earn respect for a job well done. They're looked upon favorably by the church and by God for doing well the work that they have done on behalf of the church. They receive the well done, good and faithful servant that we all long to hear. Then he says they obtain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now I think that can indicate a couple of things. It may simply speak of the general confidence to tackle something new for the Lord. If you've done something else well. If you've served him in one area and you get offered an opportunity to serve in another, if you've done well, you've got confidence to do something else and to meet the needs that exist within the body itself. Or it may indicate that as you put your faith into practice, you see the reality of it. You get to see what God can do through you. And you gain all kinds of confidence about your relationship to him. You know, we can talk about serving the Lord a lot, but it's when you actually put time into doing so that you sense him working through you. We have tons of volunteers who work in our church. This is not a one-man show. We have people who give hours and hours of effort, many times behind the scenes that you never even know about, to make sure things go well when you gather here, and that we have a body that's able to represent Christ in the community and throughout the world. I'm very thankful for those who are willing to put their faith to the test and to see it work, in spite of busy schedules, which many of you and all of us have. But you know, there's, there's nothing quite like seeing what God can do through you. I know I never, I never feel closer to the Lord than when I sense him doing something through me, something very specific. Times when I'm talking to someone or I'm, I'm trying to accomplish something, and wow, I go, that is so cool, God. Thank you for using me. And that shouldn't be something that's only experienced by those in leadership. We should all be experiencing that, that aha moment that says, God is so good. And he's using even me to accomplish his purposes, to make a difference for all eternity in the lives of others, in my family. There's nothing like the thrill of being used by God. To think that he can use you wherever you are and take whatever you have to offer him and do something of benefit for the kingdom of God is, is rewarding beyond words. And that's what he'll do if you're willing to serve him. And you know, you don't have to come to God with great talents and abilities to be used by him. I know some say, well, I, I don't have anything to offer. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We have people doing things all the time around here that you might think takes no skill, but it does. It takes a, a skilled heart of service. 
whether it's stapling little pieces of, what's that, paper? crepe paper, ma making all that stuff in the hallway. We had crews here get, getting their fingers sore from staplers, right? Yeah, I mean, you say, well, that, I could do that. Yeah, you could. You know, lots of things can be done. The yard work, staining. I'm going to call you out here just a little bit, Jeff. Jeff hangs around here. I guess I shouldn't say like a church mouse, should I? Like a church servant. He's here as much as I am. He's always looking for something to do. And he finds things to do. Believe it or not, there are things to do. There's, there's staining to do. There's, there's uh, electrical outlets to put in. He's got things powered up so, so we can have all kinds of uh, pots going during potlucks now. Uh, on and on and on. That's awesome. That's, that's service. That's service. You know, we have people who work in the music constantly. Bonnie keeps her fingers limbered up all the time. Last-minute calls. She's always ready for me. That's amazing. We have guys who come in and, and punch in all this stuff. You know, I was really hesitant to get in the techie world. Uh, I don't have to. I got guys and girls that do it all. They program all that stuff every week. That's awesome. That's amazing. And that's what it means to be a deacon in the church. It's not a title. It's not part of a club. It's not something you wear as a badge of honor. It's just serving Christ. And we can all do that, can't we? We're a body of believers. We have some who God has gifted with the ability to lead. We have many who are gifted in abilities to serve. And together we serve Christ. That's what the church is all about. I'm grateful we have a church of elders and deacons. And deaconesses, if you want to call them that. Okay? There's no greater joy. And obviously, you don't have to be an official deacon to re re receive the rewards of service. All you have to be is a servant of the Most High God. And that privilege, obviously, is open to all of us. So this morning, I'm not offering an invitation to become official deacons of Chatham Christian Church. We don't even have a list of them anymore. But I am offering you an invitation to become servants, to commit yourself to Christ. And if you've not publicly acknowledged yourself as his servant, I would invite you to do that. But for all of us, it's good to recommit our life to service of Christ. That's what we have the opportunity to do. And there's no greater blessing than serving our master. Let's do that together. Let's stand and commit ourselves.